Lifestyle choices and environmental factors impact your brain health and the physiology and psychology of your mental health. When you're ready to turn your brain on to get your game on, listen to In Your Head Radio. Now here's your host, Lee Richardson. Well, thanks for joining us today. We've got a really interesting and a very timely show today. I've got as a guest, James Wetrick. He's the CEO of the Wealth. That's a mouthful, Wellrich Group of Companies. He's been in the healthcare industry for over 40 years and has worked in senior position at Abbott Laboratories, and I hope I say this right, Milwaukee Healthcare. Yeah, and has consulted, Healthcare, yeah. yeah. Got it. And has consulted with over 100 companies. Jim lectures and blogs about leadership and teamwork as well as coaches and mentors healthcare executives. And we certainly know that healthcare executives have had a tremendous amount of stress for the last 16 months. He's been a guest lecturer at the School of Business at Emory University. He's recently authored a chapter in the anthology, Quitless, The Power of Persistence in Business and Life, by Alinka, and I hope I definitely say this right. Say it for me. Uh, I, I think it's Rutkowski, but I, I can't oh. say it very well. We all just call her Alinka. <laughs> well, Miss Alinka, you're here with us. And, but this book was published March 13th in 2021, and he became it became a USA Today and Wall Street Journal bestseller. So her name is going to become well known in the public. Jim has a BS from the University of Southern California, an MHA from Tulane University, and an MBA from Emory University. He has received the Outstanding Alumnus Award from the Tulane University School of Public Health and Tropical Medicine. So certainly we have a healthcare executive. Thank you so much for joining us today, Jim. Yeah, Lee, it's it's a great pleasure to be with you. So thank you very much for the opportunity to be with you today. Well, and I think, you know, this is very timely because many companies are de- dedicated to bringing the workforce back to the workplace. And that creates great leadership challenges just in itself. But how do you get the people to want to return to the workforce? And, you know, how do you get them to want to be there if they don't start off understanding the goals of the organization? They need to know how they're doing. They need to know if their performance is in line with what their leaders expect. And more importantly, we need to think about diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I think that that, you know, you have a great story to tell about that. Yeah, great. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think, Lee, that that's uh, that's um, a lot to say grace over, as you know. And, and I do think there's um, more challenges now than there's ever been, which puts more pressure on, on senior managers and leaders um, in companies throughout the world. Uh, because um, life as we know it has changed. I think it's changed forever. I don't think we'll ever go back to the model we had before. That's not to say that the model we had before was bad or good. It's just what it was. It it, it was what it was, and now it's just going to be completely different. And I think many executives have learned that we can be productive, not necessarily all working in the same location at the same time, um, but I, I do think many companies will move to a hybrid model um, and that hybrid uh, status will be driven by a lot of things, um, whether or not companies require people in offices to be vaccinated. That seems to be the trend these days for non-healthcare companies. I think um, Google has recently announced that or Facebook, yep. Salesforce.com. 
Um, if, and if you don't want to get your vaccine, well, you're not going to be welcome necessarily in the office. And there's legitimate reasons some people may not want to get the vaccine. Uh, obviously, there's been quite um, a precedent set um, in, in hospitals and hospital systems um, that was supported by a recent decision at the Supreme Court that basically gave hospital systems the right to require their workers to be vaccinated. So um, you'll, you've seen a lot of systems. Um, last I saw, there were over 40 major hospital systems that had all um, put that policy into place. And I suspect virtually most or all of them probably will at some point. So aside from the whole you know, hybrid situation, the vaccination situation. Um, there's just a big challenge with um, people learning that, uh, you know, if I'm working for Uber and I'm not picking on Uber, but as an example, um, you know, I can do my job remotely and don't necessarily have to live in San Francisco and go into the office every day. So that's a big change for a lot of companies uh, around the world. There's no doubt about it. Well, it is. And it's a big change for for the employees as well, because, you know, I think that we've become so insular in the last 16 months that we have a fear of going back out. And, you know, we maybe we used to enjoy going in and going out to lunch and being able to utilize the resources that were there. But the, we've forgotten those. The brain's yeah. forgotten them. Yeah, and yeah. they no longer have value. So how do you make sure that that workforce is inviting enough? And I think that it really starts a lot with understanding the role that everybody has to play. And more times than not, the people in the more junior roles have either it's so defined that it's boring or they have less definition. And I think more times than not, there's a lot of females in those roles. Yeah, there's no doubt. There's no doubt. And I, I think, Lee, and we talked about this a little bit at the meeting you and I attended recently in, in Las Vegas. Uh, I think um, in general, um, we have a long way to go here in the U.S. Uh, to support working, working parents. Um, and a lot of the onus right now falls on working mothers uh, for a variety of reasons. Um, and and we're we're so far behind all the other countries around the world, more or less, not just the developed countries, but some of the developing countries in terms of our policy and practices on supporting uh, working parents, parents with children, particularly uh, new mothers. Uh, many of our large companies still have very antiquated, very archaic, uh, very unfriendly maternity and paternity policies and that's just got to change. Um, we're, you know, we've had such a focus uh, in this country on productivity, and we've been very proud of our productivity, but it's had a lot of negative, you know, um, consequences um, in things like maternity and paternity leave. So we've got a we've got a lot of work to do, and that flows over into the work environment, right? If I am going to work from home and um, I'm going to choose maybe to have somebody watch my child uh, if I can afford the luxury of that, as opposed to taking them to daycare. That doesn't necessarily mean that I'm going to have six solid hours while someone's watching my kid. There's going to be times when I may be needed. So all those things are playing into it. Uh, on the other hand, I'll tell you, 
not so much today, but in earlier part of my career, business happened in the hallways. And, you know, there was an old phrase out of sight, out of mind. And, uh, you know, a lot of people out in the field, uh, whether you were just out literally in the field selling or if you were out working remotely back in those days, you were sometimes forgotten because you weren't around. And a lot of things happen impromptu in the work environment. You know, the, the proverbial water cooler conversations, the, the, the conversations in the, in the break room, the coffee room, the lunch room, the cafeteria, whatever. Um, some of those conversations become very important and very meaningful. And your point is a good one, which is how do we, how do we get that piece, um, you know, to work? in a non, um, uh, you know, in a setting that's, that's remote. And I, I think we're learning. And part of it is, look, we can't ask our people just because the calendar says that it's possible. We can't ask our people to sit at their desks, not moving for eight hours on one call to a next on a next on a next on a next. I think one thing that really needs to get um, brought into the conversation is the notion of breaks and forcing breaks between calls, between meetings. Um, I heard uh, Sanjay Gupta, I believe it was, the, the CNN medical reporter about two months ago say that for this new generation, sitting is the new smoking, right? You and I are, are of a generation where we used to get up, walk around, walk to meetings, go from building to building. When I was at Abbott, we had meetings in all the different buildings. We'd walk to the different buildings. Right now, uh, our meetings are right here on my desk, and I don't have to move for eight hours or 10 hours. And that's really, really not a good thing for so many reasons. Oh, no. And, and the first reason is what that does to the brain. Yep, I mean, yep. there's good research that shows what sitting on it on a zoom call for eight hours is doing to your brain. The brain needs to move and we're lacking that. And the brain, the brain loves novelty and the things that you talked about around the water cooler and catching somebody in the hall, you could be spontaneous and the brain loves that type of activity. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. we've got to figure out how, I mean, you got to, in the name of my book, turn your brain on to get your game on, because yeah. that is what it's all about. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. So looking back, you know, and I know you've done a lot of a lot of work on. Honestly, I'm going to date myself. In my old life, when I worked in HR for Exxon Enterprises, we called it DI, diversity inclusion. Yeah. And yeah. now it's called DEI, diversity, right. equity, and inclusion. Yeah. And I, I think that E is so important, that no equity, doubt. because you were telling me about a study that you had seen that compared um, compensation uh, of women to men. Yep. Share that with our audience. Well, there's been, there's been a lot of work, Lee, done in that regard. And, you know, um, across the board, um, you know, e- even currently, there's still a, there, there's still a gap. <laughs> Uh, I believe it was a McKinsey study that I referenced. Um, there was there's a gap between, you know, the compensation of, of women in in similar uh, jobs to the one that that men are in, and um, it's it's um, it, it's been that way for for ages. And I know I talked to somebody recently, and I can't remember what company they'd referenced, but the company was a fairly large company and fairly public and fairly visible. 
Um, and they basically are promoting that on their website, you know, uh, for potential hires. Like we, we are certain that, that, you know, all genders in our organization are being paid the same wages for, for uh, the same work, regardless of, of what gender you are. So I think that's unfortunately the vast uh, exception um, and it's not the rule. And yes, while it may be great that we're promoting women, we're promoting minorities, we're doing all the things that should have been done years ago under the notions of DE and I, I still not quite convinced that there's equality um, on a comp basis um, between between uh, the different genders. Yeah. Well, you know, you're right. There's a true call to action that has got to be looked at and has got to be addressed. And it's almost like, you know, we always have a strategy for different business initiatives. Do we have a strategy or do companies have a strategy around that gender diversity, how they pay? Um, I think more often than not, I think uh, what's happening uh, is that they're doing a good job of making sure there's good representation um, and that um, they're um, tracking and monitoring their efforts um, on diversity uh, and inclusion. I, I think the piece that's not being quite as well managed uh, is probably the equity piece. And, and I know firsthand from some of the things I've seen outside of DEI, just in terms of executive compensation, I'm... I'm, I'm, I'm not certain, but uh, I'm, 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 uh, it, you, you'd have to give me some data to convince me that compensation committees of large companies, uh, and I'm talking about comp committees, remuneration committees at the board level, I don't think they're getting the complete story or they're just getting the story on the most senior people. Um, I, I know, um, as I mentioned to you when we met, I'm working on a book and hopefully it'll be out uh, in October. I'm in the midst of reviewing the, a draft right now. And one of the stories I talk about is a large company where they were having financial troubles uh, and they froze the, the uh, salaries of the corporate officers for about 18 months. Um, and the CEO had a call with all the officers to tell them that their salaries would be frozen. And about two months later, uh, on the front page of a business section of a major metropolitan city newspaper and announced the CEO had just gotten an 11% pay raise. That's hard so, to swallow. Well, um, how can you um, right, uh, do that to your people? And if that had been I, uh, I would have taken, if the comp committee was so convinced I needed an 11% touch-up, I'd either given it to my corporate officers or given it back to the organization. But there's so much you know, inconsistency with um, the levels of compensation and the, and how we're driving um, the differences in that compensation. So I think we've still got a lot of work to do uh, in general and also very much uh, from a diversity and inclusion standpoint in terms of compensation. Well, when you, you know, when I hear diversity, I think of, okay, I need to have many people of many different colors. I need to have women women, I need to have men. What else does that encompass? Well, I think it depends on the company, you know, depending upon if, if it's if it's 
a global company or a regional company or a U.S. based company. But and of course, size matters, right? Because if I've only got a company of ten people, it's hard to have some of those some of those components uh, met. But um, for me, it's it's all about differences in in um, uh, ethnicity, uh, in background. Um, it can go sexual orientation, sexual orientation. I mean, um, religion. Uh, I, I, I think the better and more uh, cosmopolitan the mixture is, um, the, the better the organization's going to be. And I, I tell people, Lee, I'm 64 years old. I tell people one of the best things I think ever happened to me is I grew up in Southern California. And even in the 60s when I was growing up, California back then was extremely diverse. There were people from all parts of the world spoke all different languages, um, and uh, I grew up in a very diverse environment. And I remember going to college uh, in Los Angeles and one of my classmates uh, saying that he'd never uh, been in school with a black person in his whole life. He came from a very um, um, uh, white uh, suburb in Ohio, and he'd literally never been to school with somebody that wasn't white in his life. And um, it's just amazing. But I'm I believe that we all have a, a lot to offer. And it's not necessarily all just people who maybe have been afforded an opportunity like you and I have been afforded. Um, there's a, a woman I'm coaching right now. She's absolutely fabulous. She works for a huge company. You'd recognize the name. And, you know, at 12 years old, because she was being, you know, physically abused, she just walked out of her house and she was homeless for about three years. Um, and this lady's now working in a big job in a big company. And, you know, you 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 can't imagine the insistence and persistence and drive and focus this woman has having been through that type of an experience. So. And, and, you know, you really that brings up a really good point is when because I'm a woman, I started my business. And of course, I started in 2009. After the financial situation in yep. 2008, you're starting a cash business. There were some barriers that, you know, society put up in front of me, financial barriers. Sure. But also there are barriers that really that we put up that exists within ourselves and it goes back to our life experience and and all of those things. And I think for women, fear is at the root of those barriers many, many times. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you. I, as I uh, mentioned to you, I, um, in 2013, when I was running a a business for a Swedish based company, um, I brought together all the women in the organization, not just the high potential women, but all 150 of the women for a two day program. And, and one of the things I did to prepare for that was uh, pour through with a couple other women in the company, you know, Cheryl Sandberg's lean in. And that was one of the many points that she made, which surprised me, which is how hard women are on themselves. And, and I, you know, it's being sensitive to the, all those myriad differences, I think, is really important, yeah, really important as a manager. Well, it is. And I think, you know, sometimes women um, tend to feel like they have to work harder than men do. Yeah. And I think part of that's in their head. You yeah. know, that's that's an old line. That's an old that's an old song. But we still have it playing in our head. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was I was I don't I don't I 
I can't remember, and I, and, you know, um, the exact quote, but there was a piece in Cheryl's book that talks about uh, the. I think uh, these are my words, not hers, but like the triple threat. You know, she was afraid of being a a, a bad daughter, a bad uh, a, a bad sister, and a bad mother. You know, and it, it was the bad mother piece that really resonated to me. Uh, and again, I read this book chapter by chapter and talked about it with these other women in in the organization, and I'm like. I got to be honest with you. Uh, you know, I love my kids. I've got two grown boys. Um, I've never once ever worried for a secondly whether or not I was a good dad or not. I, I haven't. I, I just I can tell you I've done the best job I can do. Whether my kids give me a one uh, for terrible or a ten for wonderful, I don't think twice about it. But it's obviously something that you know really weighs on mothers more than it seems to at least weigh on fathers or weigh on me. That's for sure. Well, I do think the emotional connection is different. And, you know, there's a nurturing. I mean, the mother carries that baby for nine months. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And and having twins, um, you certainly know they're there. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm sure it's a big part of it. There's no doubt. Yeah. So, but as we start to bring people back to work and, and, you know, some kids are going to go back to school and some are not because of the, under 12, you can't be vaccinated. Yeah, yeah. And I think many people are re, are just rethinking the whole school solution. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I think that, that that's going to create a barrier for the women that have to return to work. Because if they think their children should be homeschooled, who's going to do it? Yeah, yeah, I know. I I. I, I, I've seen all kinds of, of, of estimations and projections. I know you have too um, about, you know, the big, uh, and if someone's come up, came up with a, uh, a catchy term for it, I can't remember what it was, but the big departure, uh, a lot of folks are going to decide that it's just best right now uh, for someone to stay home and, and uh, work with these kids because um, they, they, they can't. That's the only option they have. And uh, some companies that are large um, might be able to be creative and support them. Um, you know, we've seen so much, as you and I talked about in Las Vegas, we've seen so much innovation and so much creativity as a result of this pandemic. I mean, there's been such amazing things that have happened. I'm sure some companies are going to come up with solutions that will really help their people. Um, but it's uh, it's a big fear. And, you know, turnover is so inefficient and so expensive for organizations. They certainly don't want that. Um, but you can't afford to, you know, teach every every employee's kids at your own expense as a company. So it's going to be a huge challenge. It's going to be a huge challenge. And it, it's ultimately going to be opportunity for for people and companies that can figure out how to help these people because it's a large uh, population that that uh, is going to be in need of some help. Well, you know, and that that education, alternative education, has really expanded greatly over the last ten years. I mean, when I was raising my kids, it was either public school or private school. Yep. Yep. And, but there's there's a spectrum of choices along there, and I think they're you know they're good. I think that. Everybody's got to have the right learning environment. Yeah. I work with a lot of the autistic population, yeah. and they're extremely smart. They yeah. can be highly intelligent, but they process information differently, yeah. Yeah, and so. they learn differently, and they need that environment 
that understands and supports that. Yep. So it's it's a bigger challenge than than we think, you know, because kids are the autistic population is huge now. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I and and I I think Lee I, again I haven't seen data on it. It's just anecdotal, but I think um, um, that um, both sets of parents today are much more engaged in this conversation than let's just say you know uh, my parents were and my parents generation you know my my mom was a homemaker and housewife and my dad was a surgeon but um you know he would have never ever stayed home to take care of the kids ever <laughs> you know so but i think these new kids uh, are much more flexible their companies are much more flexible and they're getting much more support than they ever had when you know we were parents or when our parents were were parents so that's that's been helpful you know there's there's uh, i do think companies understand what's going on they are empathetic to it they are sympathetic to it they're trying to do the right things, not only to protect their employees, but you know, to serve their company as well. So um, I, I am encouraged that there's higher levels of support than there's ever been. And I agree with you. I certainly think that you know, many paternal leave. The fathers in some companies, the fathers can take as much time as as yep. the mothers yep. can. Absolutely. And today, fathers are wanting to do that. They're yeah, wanting absolutely. to participate in that. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, when I when I look at your background and it's healthcare, and I consider the Brain Performance Center, it's mental health, yeah. uh, healthcare. But you know, when we when you look at the type of work that we do in healthcare, it's I know there's a lot of telehealth going on right now. Absolutely. But the work that I do, I can't do telehealth. No, it's no. got to be in person, yeah. and that's that's going to create some real leadership challenges for the hospitals and yeah. and for everyone involved in healthcare. Yeah, it has, and and we talked a little bit about that in Las Vegas. It's a really good point, um, and there are some people that just are opting not to get care or can't get care, or um, you know, there there's certain diseases, situations, ailments that doctors have to put you know their hands on you they have to look at you they have to examine you and um so there's going to be a lot of challenges and as i mentioned when i was out in las vegas we haven't even begun to study the consequences even during the pandemic of the rapid shift shift we had to telemedicine yeah it's great that all these big health systems ramped up and you know rather than see 100 patients a month they saw a hundred thousand but what's been the health implication of that and who's been lost in the process? And there's some people that don't have good connectivity, whether it's cell phone or internet. So how do you, how do you get to the people that are, you know, the have not, so to speak? Well, and there's a whole piece of healthcare that involves connecting emotionally and taking mm -hmm. the time to listen to what somebody yeah. has to say yeah. and to nurturing them. And, you know, sometimes just, a uh, Going eyeball to eyeball and a pat on the back can can be very reassuring, and that cannot be achieved with telehealth. Yeah. Um, no, no more than it can be achieved with the five minute doctor visit. You know, you right. walk in yeah. and okay, right. okay, what's your blood pressure? Okay, do this, do this, this, and get out. So, yeah. but when we come back, I'd really like to talk more about what leadership challenges there are and what the leaders. Yep 
today can do to help our workforce return to the workplace healthy, wealthy, and wise. We'll be back after these messages. Information about book publishing is power. The power to change your authoring life and the power to change the lives of your readers. So join us for Your Guide to Book Publishing, Everything You Want to Know But Didn't Know What to Ask, with your host, Dr. Judith Bryles. Thursdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 Pacific, you'll hear about statistics, scenarios, and strategies on what to do now. As the book shepherd, Dr. Judith Bryles is in, and each week, she will include publishing professionals that will reveal tips and secrets to the author's journey. If there is a book in you, you want to listen, learn, And yes, call in with your questions each week. For more on Judith and what she can do for you, check out her website, thebookshepherd.com. It's your guide to book publishing. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask. Brought to you by Author You and The Book Shepherd. With your host, Dr. Judith Bryles. Thursday evenings at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific. It's words you never heard. Got a lead foot? According to state troopers, here's what not to do when you get pulled over. Don't be a lachrymist and start crying right away. It doesn't help. But if you're under 20, crying won't be held against you. Don't ask for a break. and Don't yell or start any argy-bargy. And one trooper said, if they're going to flirt with me to get out of a ticket, it would probably insult my intelligence. But unfortunately, I don't get hit on all that often. So flirting or being a gill flirt won't work. Did you know that 15% of all drivers get 76% of all traffic tickets? And the odds of winning if you challenge a traffic ticket in court are 1 in 3. So what should you do when you get pulled over for speeding? Be courteous to the officer and most of all, be honest. It's words you never heard. I'm Carolyn Davidson and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. back. Now here is your host, Lee Richardson. You know, before we took a break, we were talking about the the challenges that that face employers and employees. And you know, our behavior has changed over the last 16 months. I've seen studies that show that the there's been a drastic increase in alcohol. I mean, just look at alcohol sales. They've been off the roof. There's been uh, addictions have increased, um, suicides have increased, and I saw a study that showed on the average people have gained 28 pounds, and that's a big that's a big shift in your weight. I was talking with a colleague at the health club this morning, and she's returning back to work in mid-August, and she said, you know, Lee, I don't know what to do. I don't know where those shoes are that I used to wear. I just have been in tennis shoes for the last year. And, you know, I don't think any of my clothes still fit me. So, you know, there's a lot of different levels that come into play, not just for the employer, but for the employee. Oh, there's no doubt. And and uh, I think I think what we've found and certainly what the studies that you've just mentioned have, have borne out, um, you know, we, we are generally, um, uh, you know, we operate on routines, right? Um, when you have to be in the office at eight o'clock, 
Um, you get up in an hour that suits you and your time to get ready and commute and whatever. And if you're going to work out in the morning, then you get up at five to do your routine before you start that. Or if you're going to work out on the way home, when you leave the office at whatever hour, you're going to stop by the gym and do your things. We've all had these routines and these routines now have been turned upside down and not necessarily replaced by good routines, whether that's, you know, sitting at your desk for eight or nine or 10 hours not moving or breaking up the routine to get up and get ready and get dressed and, and you know, walk to the office, ride your bike to the office, walk to the train station, the bus station, whatever it is. A lot of these routines have been upset and um, uh, in some cases it hasn't been to the good, That that's for sure. So um, again, I think as we do come back, um, people need to understand it's going to be a transition. Um, and, you know, if I, I don't know what the average weight is of somebody, but if the average weight's 150 pounds and you've gained 30 pounds, it probably means you need a new wardrobe. So, Absolutely. Right, right, yeah. So depending upon what kind of clothes you wear to work, but um, um, yeah, so I, I think Again, it's we're not going to be able to flip a switch, Lee. I think it's going to be very much a transitional period of time. And, you know, people that might think they're otherwise really ready to get back to work and really ready to get back to that routine may find out a week or two or three into that routine that maybe, you know, I don't like this so much anymore. I want to go back to my old routine. So um, it's going to be very interesting. And I think the bottom line is companies have to be um uh aware of these challenges and i think they are but i don't think we necessarily even really know all the challenges that are going to occur so we have to have our antenna up and be sensitive to you know this transition i, I again i don't think we can flip a switch and just go back to the way it was um i don't either as, as an example Lee, i mean my son and his wife, my daughter-in-law, used to live in San Francisco. They both had great jobs, but they rode the bus to get to work, you know, and maybe 20, 30-minute bus ride. Some people don't want to get on a bus. Some people don't want to guess, uh, get on a bus with people that aren't vaccinated. Some people don't want to get in a bus with somebody that's now sick. I mean, there's so many implications, and maybe uh, the city of San Francisco is going to limit bus passengers to 20, I don't know, uh, versus 40 or 50 or standing room only. And what implication does that have on all this return to work stuff? I think it's it's going to be it's going to take a long time really to sort this out. Well, you know, you, you bring up a good point. There's going to be have to be changes in the systems that we use. Yep. Yep. But, you know, we both live in the Dallas area and I've just been traumatized by the amount of road rage. Oh, I yeah. mean, it's not it's not just Dallas. It's across the United States. Yep. But the the amount that's been out there. And I really do believe that we were remote for so long and we were so insular, so turned to just ourselves. I think a lot of us have forgotten how to play nice. Oh, uh, it's no doubt about it. And in fact, uh, today's trash day in my town and my neighbor and I were taking our trash out at the same time. And he was talking about an incident riding around the roads of Dallas recently where he almost got run over by a guy on the interstate, you know, three three lanes over. Um, and uh, it is, I, I've noticed it even in the small amount of driving I've done, 
I don't drive a lot, but even in the small amount of driving I've done, people are, are much, much, much more aggressive. And I know um, I saw an article a couple months ago that there's been a huge increase uh, in in the number of, you know, high, very high speed, you know, speeders, people that, that you know, are going 100, you know, 90 miles an hour. Uh, they're so anxious to get out when they do get out, you know, going 80 doesn't work. They've got to go 90 or 100 or whatever. And uh, I, th I think it's, again, uh, another um, implication uh, of what we've just experienced. Um, and hopefully, hopefully we won't go through another wave and surge. Um, I'm, I'm still very concerned about the new Delta variant and what, what it's going to mean for our, our recovery back to whatever the, the new situation is going to be. Well, you know, you make a good point, though. People have been refrained from so long. And going back to our trip to Vegas, I was so excited to, to go to Vegas just to get out. Yep. So my expectations just went up way higher than they normally would have been. Yep. And yep. I got there and, and Vegas didn't have the workforce to return to the to the level they were before. And yep. here I come with these higher expectations yep. and of course they're not going to be met. So it's, it's a, a really a transition almost uh, on the, the society level. Well, and, and uh, before our trip to Vegas, I had a meeting um, at Opryland in, in Nashville and, you know, uh, a very well-run organization. Um, and I've been there a, a number of times for, for you know, re regional type meetings, um, you know, regional in size, not huge national meetings. But the same thing was true there uh, in, in, in June. They just didn't have enough staff to have a lot of the restaurants that they normally open uh, for visitors to open. They did, things were just closed. So um there's there's you know we've all seen the articles about the number of people that for whatever reason um haven't gone back to work or haven't gone back to work in the same roles they were working in before so um there's just been a lot of transition going on and i i think it's going to be a rough road um for probably 18 to 24 months till we really sort of sort out what what the life on the other side is going to look at and how companies are going to are really respond to it. Yeah. Well, I certainly agree with that. I work with a lot of clients that have anxiety, depression, and, you know, they've got that negative chit chat going in their brain. It's not mm -hmm. going to be good. No, I, it's going to be awful. It's going to take, I won't be able to be home for dinner. I mean, and they're catastrophizing in their mind. Mm -hmm. Everything's a catastrophe. And mm -hmm. the one thing that I try to really, really preach, and I'm not a preacher, but mm -hmm. is you got to have a positive attitude. Get out of your head with that negative chit chat. Look every day, look for three things that you can be grateful for. Mm -hmm. And they're mm -hmm. never big things. Oh, that car let me pull out in front. That was nice. I was walking. I hold the door for everybody walking mm -hmm. in the building. I'll hold mm -hmm. the door for you. Mm -hmm. um, you get an email from someone that says, good job, or I appreciated you, your input. I mean, they're little things that we need to be looking for. We need to be focused on that positive attitude. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And and uh, the thing I, I used to tell my kids, you know, when they were complaining about a teacher or somebody was always the same thing. 
you know, uh, there's only one person who's really in control of your day, and that's you. You know, and you can blame it on your teacher, you can blame it on your parents, you can blame it on your boss, you can blame it on whatever you want to blame it on. But, you know, we're generally, uh, aside for something really draconian or, or really outlandish, we're in control of our day. And um, I've told a lot of people, the, uh, I, I lost my best friend to leukemia when we were young. Um, I was 21 and he was 19 and he was an only child. And um, my life changed forever after that when I really learned firsthand how fragile life is. And I think to myself every day when things aren't so good, you know, um, how Marcus, my friend Marcus, who passed away from leukemia, how he would love to be here, you know, as opposed to, um, you know, uh, dying way prematurely. And, and, and you know what? Life isn't so bad after all, you know, so take it in stride in the big picture. Absolutely. And, you know, holding that positive mindset will, I think, really help you do that. And I think the other thing is, is have realistic expectations. So many people come into my office and they're disappointed or they're frustrated or they're mad or they're sad. And as we start to process what happened, they didn't reach, something didn't happen that they wanted. And the more we talk through it and process it, it was an unrealistic expectation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Realistically, when they look back and they reflect, well, you know, you're probably you probably make a good point here. Mm-hmm. Maybe that couldn't have happened. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, uh, I think that. Yeah, I think that's really good counsel. Yeah, I think that's that's. Yeah, I mean, uh, there's there's a limited number of, of things that uh, avail themselves, you know, there's only one president of the United States, uh, there's only two senators, yeah, right? And you may have your goal uh, on either of those or something similar, but uh, sometimes you get it and sometimes you don't. And um, it's it's the way things work out and um, you gotta accept, accept uh, where you are and, and just look for, um, in my case, I look for ways to continue to grow and develop, um, you know, and, 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 and learn, because I think there's still so much to learn and uh, learn from people like you and others, you know, uh, every day is an opportunity to make something happen. Well, and I'm always looking for ways to add value. I mean, that's really, if I can add value, it doesn't have to be on a big scale, no. but if I can add value, then I feel like I, I feel a sense of accomplishment. And yeah. I've kind of been focused on talking about more of the what the people returning to work maybe th- have to think about from a from a corporate standpoint, from a corporate standpoint. What are some leadership tips that you would like to share? Well, I, I think um, there's quite a few of them. Um, Lee, I think one of them is we've learned that the old command and control model just isn't going to work anymore. And and so um, I think people need to pivot in terms of how they're managing their organization. I think really um, refamiliarizing yourself and rebuilding relationships. I don't think we can take for granted what was in terms of meaningful relationships and how we had developed relationships with people. I think a number of those relationships have to be reestablished because there's been this big hiatus and there's been this big gap. We just can't assume getting back into the office that how you and I, if we work together, we're interacting before we left and now we come back, it's gonna be the same. There could be a number of things that have happened to you in the meantime 
that will alter the way you show up to work. There's a number of things that may have happened to me that are gonna alter the way I show up to work. I love the notion of the whole person, you know, how I show up to work isn't just how I show up to work, but it's everything that's going on in my life. So let's understand that how people are showing up is, an, is you know, a result of what's happening. So let's take a step back and say, okay, what's happened, right? What are some of the things that happened in the last 16 or 18 months? And, and how has life changed for you? And help me understand that. Again, we can't just go back and flip the switch and assume everything's going to be the same. So, And I think it's going to mean more time, more energy, and more focus on the individual than it is going to be on why we're there, and that's the company. So I think being very sensitive to um, where people have been and, and focusing really on the individual for a little while and making sure, you know, they're good to go is going to be a huge step in helping to get these businesses sort of back to, you know, whatever routine these people want to get back to. Boy, I couldn't agree with you more on that because if, you know, we want culture, that's our DNA. That's what we're all about. And if we've lost connection with people, and maybe we didn't really like them that much anyway, and the more we've been away from them, the more we've grown to appreciate what we didn't like about them. Yep. It's, it, there's got to be some nurturing. There's got to be some true, genuine listening done um, yep. and, and asking the questions. And, and, you know, people, I think, the people I've spoken with, they're afraid that when they go back, they're going to have to, there's going to be a lot of change. And you know how people feel about change. Yeah. And I, and I think Lee, that's part of why you're seeing, and again, I haven't seen the data, although I, I haven't seen the latest 2020 report from the international coaches federation, but um, I, you know, a lot of companies now are either building their own internal coaching network or going outside to third-party companies like BetterUp that are bringing in coaching solutions for large companies on an enterprise basis. But I think um, companies are going to need more support, more coaching, more nurturing um, uh, over this transition period because there really uh, are, to your point, a lot of needs and it's just going to be different. And I think People need to be a lot more sensitive to that. And what can we do as an organization to support our people? Well, you know, and, and I think too, we tend to look backwards. They're gonna we we tend to look backwards. We're looking back at what it was, and we need to we need to take an eraser and just erase that image from our brain. And we need to look forward. What is it going to become? And if I feel like that people are going to ask me what I think and they're going to listen to what I say and that we're all going to work together to build a new place, then that's very encouraging to me. I mean, look forward, not backward. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And, and I, you know, I don't know when it first came up, but I know it's been popping up a lot. Um, I think the first time I saw it was probably in 2015 or so, but this notion of psychological safety and being able to really speak up without fear of retribution, um, I I think is more important than ever because I think people really need to feel that they can speak up and speak their mind and talk about whatever's going on in a, in a safe environment with, without fear of retribution or fear that it's going to hurt their career or fear it's going to, you know, 
hurt hurt their job. So I, I think more than ever, the notion of having a, a milieu and a culture that embraces and supports psychological safety is just huge. Well, you know, one of the things from my old Exxon days, you know, they were really good about asking for suggestions. And this was Exxon Enterprises, which was very mm-hmm. different from Exxon Corp. But they would ask, you know, they were very open to all suggestions, but nothing ever happened with those suggestions. Yeah, and yeah. that that I think in this in this environment could be create a bigger problem. Oh, there's no doubt about it. I mean, I think it's always uh, I think it's always been a huge problem, um, you know. And and but I think today uh, with the workforce, with the communication systems, with visibility and a lot of companies to a lot of these things. You know, the proverbial uh, old suggestion box, Lee, nobody knew what the hell really was in it, right? But now a lot of companies use, you know, uh, enterprise-wide chat um, technology so people can literally weigh in and people can see and I know um, that um, one of my kids worked for a large company and they'd have town halls and people could be posting questions during the town halls and, and they could see what questions were being answered and what questions were being ignored, you know? So I think um, it just, again, we got to step back, realize that things are going to be different. How do we adapt and how do we make sure that that we're we're changing our model and our approach and our communication systems so that it's serving the need um, of, of the people that are working in our organization today? And I think that's just um, going to take a lot more effort than a lot of people realize. And it's going to take a lot more effort than a lot of companies are going to be willing to expend. Well, and I think you hit the nail on the head when you said, how do we adapt? Mm. So let's stop and think about that because the brain is wired for survival. Mm-hmm. The brain is not wired for flexibility. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, this is a true fact. Uh, you got the left hemisphere and the right hemisphere. Two thirds of the cells in the right hemisphere are constantly scanning for danger. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're not, we're wired that way. We're wired for survival. And adapting is is almost the opposite of survival because it means we have to change. We have to put effort. We have to look at what we can, how can we contribute? How can I be more flexible? How can I make things happen? And just from a brain standpoint, and honestly, of course, you know, owning the Brain Performance Center, I believe everything you do, everything you don't do, how well you do it, it all depends upon what's going on in that brain. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I I appreciate that. I understand that, and and I agree with you. And um, you know, I've I've been working on a on a book um, um, uh, talking about a lot of the 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 things that have been really I think uh, good examples of of bad leadership during my forty year business career. And um, I uh, I think it I think it couldn't come out at a better time. Um, where so many of these things that um, were bad in the past are going to be even uh, even uh, worse in the future. And and um, I, 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 as I mentioned to you, I think before we got started, I'm in the process of reviewing the draft. And there's just so much of what's happened in the past, particularly in companies, as, as one example where, you know, micromanagement, it was 
always sort of the uh, the practice du jour. It's just not going to be that effective going forward at companies. You know, we've learned that people can be completely entrepreneurial and the stuff that went on in the early stages of the of the pandemic and how people pivoted and created all kinds of new products and new processes without, you know, months of bureaucracy and meetings and approvals and stuff has shown people that a lot of great stuff can get done and it doesn't need to get done within a bureaucratic and political process um, that um, and, and I think it's going to be fascinating to see the companies that really grasp that and adapt it and run with it and companies that say, nope, we're going to go back to what's worked for the past 50 years and that's just what we're going to do. And I think those companies are going to have huge challenges. Well, I think you're right. You know, the traditional way of doing things, what does that mean now? What's yeah. tradition after the 16 months? Tradition has changed. Everything has changed. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, we've all been there. I know you've been there, right? Uh, how many times have we been in monthly staff meetings? <laughs> all day sitting in a room going over Wondering, stuff. wondering, <laughs> why, did I, why am I here? You exactly. know? Right. And no, those have been supplanted by one hour monthly Zooms, you know? So if you think we're going to go back to that, I, I don't think that's going to be the case just because we can. Yeah. Well, and, and maybe because from a productivity standpoint, there's not a reason. You know? That's right. That's right. Yeah. I think, the you know. Data, yeah, the data, Lee, I did some research for my book. The data uh, on meetings and lost productivity uh, is just mind-blowing when you see it. It's just staggering. It's staggering. Yeah, the amount of time it's lost globally in companies um, based on meetings that are just worthless or unproductive. But, you know, you made a really good point earlier, and that was about the creativity and how creativity has really kind of come into play in a bigger role than it ever has before. And with creativity, that creates freedom on a lot of on a lot of levels. We've got a couple of minutes left. And, you know, just any little tidbits that, you know, if you want to leave somebody with a takeaway from from today's show, what would that takeaway be? I think um, it, it really uh, is, again, stepping back and um, realizing the amount of stress and pressure, anxiety that's been created. And as we look at getting back to whatever the new routine is, making sure we appreciate the whole person and not just Jim Wettridge as he shows up to work every day, but what Jim Wettridge brings um, in terms of what's impacted his life, because it's been so much different now. And how do I make sure that I understand, you know, what's happened? We've all had the time on the Zooms and the calls and the Teams and all these things. We've all had that, but we haven't seen what we can't see, which is behind the camera and at work, you can kind of see what's going on because when I'm not in a meeting, you can see if I'm walking around the halls with my head down, I'm looking at my shoes or I'm not going to the break room or not joining people for lunch and showing up late, leaving early. So you can kind of get a sense maybe something's going on with Wetrich. Well, now what you can't see is probably more important than what you are seeing. Absolutely. And understanding that is going to be critical. 
you know, and my one takeaway for people that are listening today is be kind. Yeah. Remember the word empathy, you yeah. know, show some empathy. We're all struggling with coming back and be willing to try new things. Jim, thank you so much for being with me today. I've enjoyed it and I me can't too. tell you how much I appreciate it. Likewise. Great to be with you. On behalf of Lee Richardson and the Brain Performance Center, we want to thank you for listening. If you'd like to hear more episodes like this, visit us on iTunes, Google Play, TogiNet, Stitcher, iHeartRadio,